Hello and welcome to the Europeans. We have a very nice episode for you, but it is slightly mini. Um, and I guess that's kind of okay because it's half term in much of the continent. It's like that mini horse we were talking about the other week. But a podcast. So we actually don't have any guests because the guest that we were meant to be interviewing on Friday was sick, sadly. Get well soon. How dare he? Hey. Sorry. Don't pour scorn on a person who's been afflicted with sickness. Get well soon. And uh, we're really looking forward to having you on the show next week instead. So him and his assistant have both been struck with some kind of viral lurgy. And it's partly because it has suddenly become winter, I think, here in Germany. Um, and in much of the continent, the weather has turned. But have you had a nice week nonetheless? Uh, I have. I have been teaching the journalists of tomorrow this week at a Paris journalism school, which has been really fun. And I was really glad that we talked about rap last week because I've been uh, able to drop a lot of contemporary rap references, which makes me sound very cool and young. Did you actually? I did drop a couple, yeah. I don't think it worked on them. They're still like, you're a weird old lady. Well, um, that's a good way of introducing yourself, Katie, because we actually haven't said who we are. Um, You are a weird old lady, Katie Lee, living in Paris. Thank you. That is what it says on my business cards. Yes, indeed. Uh, Yes, I am a journalist living in Paris. And who are you? I am a weird old man, Dominic Kramer, and I live in Amsterdam, but I I really hesitated there because I've been in Berlin for now seven weeks. Uh, I'm an opera singer. You're like an old school Berliner now. I know, and soon I'm going back to Amsterdam. I'm very excited. But, um, oh, guess what happened at the opera? What? So, if you listened last week, you will have heard that Katie came to see the opening of my new show called Usher, or Usher, at the Staatsoper in Berlin. And you may have also heard that Via Gogo, the ticketing website, accidentally advertised it under the pop star Usher's face as one of his international tour dates. (laughs) As an Usher concert. And yesterday, we had performance number four, and I enter from where the audience enters, so I have to, like hide around until the audience have gone in and there were two women who were loitering for ages deciding whether or not to go in and I spoke to the usher I mean the ticketing person sorry there are too many ushers in this story so confusing (laughs) so I spoke to the ticketing person afterwards I was like what was going on there why were they waiting and why did they end up leaving and he was like they thought they were coming to see Usher the pop star. No way! It actually happened. At the Berlin State Opera. Bit of an unusual venue for him. Yeah, they saw that there was an orchestra in the room. And <laughs> His style has really changed. And they were like, is this really what we think it is? And they decided not to sit through an hour and a half of contemporary opera, which I think is a mistake. <laughs> but hey, what can you do? Oh man, that's really sad for them. They really did miss out, though, because as talked about last week, you are excellent as the creepy doctor in the show. And you've been um, on the Instagram of the Berlin State Opera. There's some quite good pictures of you looking evil in some of them, but also quite smouldering in some of them. Thank you. Well, my castmate, Ruth, who plays the creepy twin, one of the creepy twins, she had like a takeover of the Staatsoffer's uh, Instagram. And I wonder whether they might be regretting it because it did feature a few like photos of me eating my dinner and boomerangs of of us sticking our tongues out that kind of thing you're bringing opera to the the utes i think it's a good thing one of the first comments she got of a photo of her wearing her adidas slippers was um for some people the berlin state opera is a temple of culture (laughs) (laughs) that was all i don't know how to interpret that (laughs) she just she just decided to like the comment you know we're like yes 
I agree. Passive aggressive, like. Anyway, we should get on with this uh, interviewless show. We're very sorry that you're going to be stuck with me and Dominic this week. Although, you know, I hope that you enjoy listening to us talking every week. So hopefully it won't be that painful. And we will have, I think, maybe a slightly extended clip this week from our sponsors, Future Europe, the podcast, just so that you don't get bored of us uh, droning on too much. But anyway, on with the show. Uh, who's it been a good week for, Dominic? Well, um, this is going to not sound like a good week at the beginning. Forgive me. I'm good at that. The end of the era of functioning antibiotics is one of those things that like, I try not to think about too often because it's frankly too terrifying. The fact that all the bugs are getting immune to everything. Yeah. And that we're all going to like soon die from just having a cut and it getting infected. God, this is not a good week. No. Well, wait for it. Okay. Much of the blame is often placed of antibiotic resistance is often placed on our meat and dairy consumption and the transfer of antibiotic resistance from animals to humans via our food. Mm. However, there is a little bit of good news in the campaign against overuse of antibiotics. There was a big European Medicines Agency report that came out last week announcing that there has been a significant drop in the use of veterinary veterinary i find it really difficult to word word to say a significant drop in the use of veterinary antibiotics across europe so according to their research there's been a 20 percent decline from 2011 to 2016 across 25 eu states Hmm. special mentions should go to germany where researchers observed a 58 percent decline closely followed by the netherlands and then france Bulgaria didn't do so well with a 67.7 increase. They didn't get the memo. But the report tells us not to be too antibiotic shamey on any specific country because each country has very different types of animal populations, data collection and production systems. So let's not be too tough on Bulgaria, although they do need to do a better job, okay? So just to be clear, because I knew like literally nothing about this before this was good week. Um, so the antibiotics gets into the meat and the dairy in the same way that it does into humans. It's because like animals get sick and then farmers give the animals antibiotics. Is that it? Yeah. And then we eat the animals or consume their produce and then we get the antibiotics into our bloodstream. And then therefore, when we take the antibiotics, it's less effective. Okay. Which encourages like superbugs and stuff. I, I, I mean, I, we need a special, this is why we need a, someone to interview because I do not understand superbugs or <laughs> infections or antibiotics at all. So I should not be talking about this. But the gist of it is basically that. Huh. Yeah, so it's pretty awful. And it's one of, sometimes there's evidence that antibiotics are given to animals unnecessarily. Because oh, I was going to say like maybe the Bulgarians have just been really unlucky and their cows have got really sick. So they've had to fill them with drugs it could be that i don't know but we should also give special mention to sweden who are still top of the table of eu member states that use the least veteran veterinary i cannot say it can you say it i think this episode should just be called veterinarians veterinary what what is it veterinary 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 no because i think it should be veterinary but it's veterinary are you serious yes 
Oh, I've been doing that wrong for years. So well done, Sweden. Well done, Germany. And kind of well done, Netherlands and France. You also did quite well. Um, the reduction seems to have been most successful in countries where there was some national legislation to implement antibiotic reduction programs, as there was in Germany and France. Hmm. There is, however, some EU-wide legislation coming down the pipeline next year that aims to curb the use of these drugs across the whole continent. So hopefully that will make things much better. So get on with it, world. Uh, we really like it when antibiotics Biotics work. We do. Um, how how are they going to ban it, or how are they going to like legislate to stop people from using it? I don't see how you do that. I don't know that. Is that a question for next week? Yeah, that's a question for next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who's it been a bad week for, Katie? Uh, it's been a bad week for the Spanish drug kingpin Francisco Tejon. And uh, by way of explanation, I'm actually going to start bad week this week with a little musical interlude. <laughs> Uh, that is, of course, from the music video for Candela by the reggaeton star Classe A. But you knew that already, didn't you, Dominic? Of course, yeah. Big fan. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm playing you this is that Tejon appeared in the video for this song, which was released earlier this month, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's been taken down now. But apparently in it, you could see him living at large, basically. He gets out of this Bentley and then he's just kind of standing there surrounded by scantily clad women. Tejon has actually been on the run since 2016. He's the head of a drug cartel called Los Castañas, and he was wanted for running a massive operation smuggling cannabis into Spain from Morocco, which is the main route for cannabis into Europe. It was worth about 30 million euros, this cartel. So the fact that he appeared in this music video was widely seen as him taunting the police and saying like, ah, you can't catch me. Fast forward two weeks and Tejon is in police custody. The police had been scouring the music video for clues about where he was. And you can actually see in this music video a house which El País newspaper said was used for the drug gang's, quote, private orgies. What is a public orgy? Well, I think it means you can only go if you're invited. Wait, are the ones that are like <laughs> open access, like a scientific journal? I don't know. <laughs> we also need another guest on to explain this world. Anyway, um, it seems like this whole time Tejon had actually been hiding out in his home region, uh, which is just by the border with Gibraltar. And what we do know is that he's, he walked into a police station of his own accord, actually. So he kind of surrendered with his lawyer. He seems to have turned himself in after trying to negotiate with the cops, which implied they were about to go and arrest him anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's been a very bad week for one of Spain's most infamous drug lords. So are you saying that it is because he was in this music video that he got caught finally? Unclear. Uh, what all the reports are saying is Tejon in police custody after appearing in music video. So it's really unclear what happened in between. But uh, the police have certainly been working really hard in trying to track down his location using clues from the video. It's all quite sensationalist and it reads a bit like something off Narcos, the Netflix series. Um, and there are actually quite a lot of parallels with how the drug operation works both there and in this town called Lalinea. The gang have been kind of running the town and the local population were pretty loyal to them because they provide a lot of jobs and other services. But I absolutely do not want to glamorise drug trafficking in any way, which is why we are giving Tehran the biggest insult there is, which is Bad Week. The Europeans is supported by Future Europe, a podcast from the European Investment Bank. What is the European Investment Bank, Dominic? It's 
a really nice bank that gives money to cool projects, investment projects across the continent. Things like building the fastest electric car, smart cities in Belgium. Lasers in Hungary. Lasers in Hungary. That kind of thing. Because of that, they have put together a little podcast series celebrating technical innovation in Europe, one for every EU country. And uh, as mentioned previously on this podcast, one thing that's really nice about them is they're super short. They're only about seven minutes long per episode. And uh, I've thought of another thing you can do in seven minutes. Oh, yeah, go on. What? It's a bit controversial and we've argued about it before, but you can boil an egg in seven minutes. Yeah, fine. Oh, I thought this was going to start a little argument. I'm a bit annoyed that it hasn't. Um, yeah, I'm just defeated, to be honest, that you're bringing this up again. Opening old wounds. It's a bit painful, so we should probably <laughs> move on. Here is a clip from an episode they've done in the Netherlands about food waste, an issue very close to my heart. It's about a factory called Verspinningsfabriek, which uh, I think is in the south, not that far from Eindhoven. And it's a really cool project. About 70% of the factory staff have a disability. And yeah, they basically use unwanted food to make delicious things. Let's have a listen. We need to rethink how we produce food how we distribute the food and how we consume the food. Our, our kids want to go to McDonald's and they only the, the middle slices of the tomato are being used for the, you know, the burgers and the Big Macs. What do they do with the other parts of the tomato? Nothing. What can be done of that fresh tomato? You know, soup, sauces, that's what Bob is doing. By rethinking the system we can make something happen for consumers, for producers and for farmers. And McDonald's is, is very conscious, they're part of the task force. So they want to be part of the solution. And here you see the, the soup being produced by the food waste factory. This is soup of tomatoes, the part of the tomato not being used on the McDonald's hamburger. But here it becomes a very, very tasteful soup. And it's called Boston's Fall. Boston's Fall is being, you know, a lot of food in here, a lot of good food in here. It's smartful eater. That's super cool. I like this. I think it's the best thing since sliced bread, if that's not too confusing a metaphor. Oh, it is a bit confusing because it's about they might use sliced bread sometimes, you know? Yeah, (laughs) sorry. Anyway, you can find Future Europe wherever you get your podcasts and we will post the link in our show notes. This episode has flown by, and that is because it has literally flown by. It's much shorter (laughs) than a normal episode. But still, I think you will deserve a happy ending. And a happy ending this week is one from Barcelona. Now, I'm sure that some of our listeners will have been in frustrating situations applying for planning permission from their local government. But I doubt anyone has had the issue lie unresolved for 136 years. One building in Barcelona has been in this state of legal limbo until last Thursday. And it's not just any building. No, there was happy news this week from the Sagrada Familia after it was granted a building license from the city council some 136 years after work began on this incredible building. Do you think everyone knows what the Sagrada Familia is, Katie? Um, Probably most people would have seen it. Well, you'll recognise it from pictures. It's that mad building in Barcelona that looks like a sort of bunch of like crazy ice cream cones that have been turned upside down. It's Barcelona's most visited tourist attraction. It is the wackiest of churches, made wacky and famous largely due to the building's second architect, 
the Catalan genius Gaudi. Building started in 1882, but until last Thursday, it lacked the proper permissions. Now, the Sagrada Familia came to a huge multi-million euro deal with the local government pledging money to help support local transport, infrastructure and safety in the surrounding area. So it's great news for the area and the Sagrada Familia. And more good news, they hope that the building will finally be completed in eight years. But I'll believe that when I see it. So, sorry, they started this building 136 years ago without proper planning permission and also still haven't finished it. Like, how is any of this possible? Yeah, well, there was... uh the Spanish Civil War in the middle that like ah. caused quite a lot of problems and Freddy's. they destroyed the workshop of the architect including most of the plans and then Gaudi died suddenly under a tram oh, in the yeah. city really horribly so then his assistant took over so there have been lots of changes in personnel but also that's not that long if you look at some of the biggest cathedrals across Europe they took ages to be built as well, didn't they? Which is why our amazing guest, Anna Beata Hovind, was talking about cathedral thinking a few episodes back and the need to like yes. plan projects that your generation won't necessarily benefit from, but they're for the next generation, which I think is lovely. I believe there's a cathedral in your hometown, Katie, that took quite a long time to build, no? South End on Sea. No, Paris. <laughs> We've got a really long pier, the longest pleasure pier in the world, as I can't stop banging on about on this podcast. But um, what, uh, Notre Dame? Notre Dame, yeah. Yeah, it took forever. Took almost 200 years. So that's much longer than, well, actually, we don't know yet. Sagrada Familia still hasn't been built. Um, but it still gets, like, I think nearly 20 million visitors a year, one of which was me a few years ago. And I thought it was pretty cool. It's cool building. Um, what are they going to do with all this money then that the church is giving to the city to say sorry for like not doing things properly for 136 years? Uh, they're like underwriting the local transport system and cleaning up the area around, which actually, when I was there, I did think it was quite horrible. Oh, yeah. Around it. It was just like queues of people around fences and lots of tourist shops. But I guess that's just like the centre of most European cities, isn't it? Thanks to bloody tourists. No, I, I'm, I'm not going to hate on tourists in the way that For once. most of my fellow Amsterdamers do. But I do think that some of the things... I've just been wandering around Berlin with my lovely godmother. Aww. And we were just talking about like tourist shop after tourist shop after tourist shop. And you feel like you're just being sold something that isn't even really the city. Oh, that's sad. And then after that, you just see all these, the same shops that you see in every city, Zara and H&M. So sorry, you are going to spend this episode hating on tourists. No, I am not blaming tourists <laughs> for any of this. Oh, okay. You're blaming the world at large. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is this still a happy ending? This is definitely a happy ending. Anything that ends in like a bit of official paper from the local government is happy in my eyes. <laughs> You've got a really weird idea of what happy is. Next week, we'll be back with more tales of this little old continent of ours and hopefully at least one guest, if he's well again. Uh, maybe we should get some of those antibiotics that we're not using on the cows and like, shove them into him. No. Is that a disrespectful way to talk about our guests? Yes, Katie. Sorry. <laughs> get well and soon. And also, the whole point is that we shouldn't give them antibiotics. Have you not learned anything? I haven't, no. I do like a bit of antibiotics, don't you, though, when you're, when you're feeling ill and poorly. I know that's really bad, but you're just like, oh. 
now I've got like the magic weapon. Actually, we should do we should do an episode about like the different habits of antibiotic prescription across Europe in humans yeah. because there are very different cultures. In France, they hand them out willy nilly. Yeah, and in some other countries, they really don't want to give them out at all. Like in the UK, it's becoming harder to get them. Yeah, which I think is actually good. See, I have learned one thing. So we'll be back next week. In the meantime, where can you find us on the internet, Dum Dum? You can find us on Twitter at Europeans Pod. Instagram, Europeans Podcast. Or you can send us an email, europeanspodcast at gmail.com. Um, I was going to play you out this week with more of that reggaeton song from earlier, but I'm not really a massive fan of that guy's ethos in life since he just kind of hangs out with really wanted drug lords. So we're going to play you out with something a lot more positive instead. Crudas Cubensi, Mi Cuerpo Es Mio, or My Body Is Mine. Bit of a Spanish feminist anthem that's been doing the rounds recently. I just thought that was a nice message, really. That sounds lovely, Katie. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone. Adios. Bye. Decisiones de quienes de nosotros. Cruda Cubensi, one more time, representing women and queer people.